Welcome back, everybody. As I said to this last session, which we've been building up towards in terms of <clears throat> developing a strategy to decarbonize EU industries uh, in the long term and looking broadly at that particular question. Um, in order to set the context for this conversation and debate, um, this time I'm going to quote Patricia Espinoza, um, Executive Secretary at the UNFCC. And she says this, <clears throat> What is important for long-term strategies is that they convey an unambiguous signal to economic actors, that they provide flexibility for these actors to conform to the best of their ability to set the vision, that they are realistic, that they reflect the long-term aspirations of all sectors of society, that they are compatible with the political cycles and any changes brought in by mid-term priorities, and ultimately, that they effectively guide the country as rapidly as possible along the path to balancing its emissions and removals. So, an effective context setter. Um, we have, uh, again, for you, a, a very interesting set of contributions from panelists from across sectors. And I'm going to start with Aves um, and ask you, given where you sit from, you know, in terms of the UN, what, what are your expectations? What are your expectations um, in the decarbonisation process? Thank you, and a very good afternoon. Thank you very much to the Friends of Europe for organising this. Pleasure for me to be here. I represent the United Nations, uh, United Nations Convention on Climate Change. Mm. So very briefly, uh, what we are talking about is, uh, you know, at the global level, implementation of this Paris Agreement. And that has enormous uh, expectations, challenges, but also opportunities. And in terms of decarbonisation that you've talked about and that you've heard, many different You may need to hold the mic up closer many, to you. Many different <coughs> perspectives and examples and uh, uh, actors here in this room and beyond. What we expect is that everyone comes together and works towards the implementation of what was agreed in Paris some years ago. Let me read a brief article from the Paris Agreement, which is extremely important, and I believe it very uh, well reflects the spirit of that agreement, which applies to all sectors. And it reads as follows. It's a very, very simple. Parties, when we say parties, member states representing the uh, populations and the citizens of the world, shall cooperate in taking measures as appropriate to enhance climate change, education, training, public awareness, public participation and public access to information, recognizing the importance of these steps with respect to enhancing actions under this agreement. And decarbonization is one of those, and an important one. Okay, thank you very much. Um, can I turn to Hans? Um, so, if I can call this a local perspective, i.e. an EU perspective, Commission perspective. Um, Obviously, um, I would press you to say what's going to be in the strategy, but you won't tell me that I know. But what, what do you think, or how can we ensure more ambitious uh, emissions tar reductions tar targets happen whilst maintaining competitiveness industrially? Thank you very much for that, and uh, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for having the Commission also on this panel. Um, I think you were right in saying that I'm not going to tell you uh, here and now what's going to be in our forthcoming uh, long-term strategy, but I will try and talk a you little bit about it. You can give us a sneak it. preview of your, your thoughts. I can, I can give you some ideas, perhaps, but then don't blame me if at the end of the day it'll be something quite different. Um, now, I think for maybe the first thing to say in response to your question is that uh, Europe is in the forefront when it comes to climate change uh, mitigation and when it comes to the energy transition compared to the rest of the world. That is, in our view, the result of quite uh, bold and ambitious policies that have been uh, put in place over the last uh, 10, 15 years. The 2020 policy with the targets for renewables, energy efficiency and, and CO2 uh, emissions for 2020, the new uh, clean energy for all Europeans package, which is now in the last stages of adoption that will set similar 
ambitious targets for 2030. And of course, it is our intention now with the long-term strategy, a vision towards uh, really deep decarbonisation measures in Europe for 2050, to continue that and set the EU on the right track, and to demonstrate also very clearly to the uh, world community that we take uh, that leading role uh, very seriously in Europe and that we are trying to get our house in order ahead of the Katowice uh, COP24. Uh, coming to industry, I think it's also fair to say that industry has already made a significant contribution towards CO2 reductions. Uh, and if I may just interject, just on that point, but we know that the energy intensive industries need to have a gargantuan leap of reduction in CO2 emissions. And we know that the technology exists, but it's just not being deployed at a larger scale. So just want for you to think about that. Yeah. No, I, I think you are, you're right to say that if we are looking at what has been done so far, and what was about, uh, was about to say was that progress has been made, but we need a change in gear towards the uh, deep carbonization that we are looking at towards 2050. Uh, I think the, the good news in that sense is that uh, there are a lot of options available to decarbonize uh, industry. There's not one silver bullet, that's quite clear, but uh, we have to acknowledge that industry is very diverse, but there are very many different ways that industry can decarbonize, and I'm sure we will discuss these in more detail uh, during this session. Um, let me perhaps just give you a couple of those things that we think we really need to focus on uh, in the future. Mm -hmm. We need to continue with energy efficiency, uh, process optimization, reducing losses of all sorts of things, in particular of heat. We need probably more electrification because we know that the electricity sector is the sector where we have all the technologies available to decarbonize in particular in the shape of renewables, but also nuclear in those countries that are uh, willing to use nuclear. Uh, we know that there are other feedstocks available to power industry, or certainly certain industries, things like bioenergy, biomass, but also maybe hydrogen, which still needs a technology push. Uh, we do know that there is options for uh, storing, uh, CO2 uh, with carbon capture and storage, carbon capture and uh, usage. And then we know, of course, also, uh, perhaps that's something relatively new, that the circular economy also offers very strong opportunities for uh, carbon savings in industry. So those things put together, we think we can get there. But of course, we need the right policy instruments in order to make that happen. <coughs> And we need to be fully aware of the challenges which uh, we have in doing so. And the challenges, I think, are quite critical as well. First of all, as I said, we need, for certain uh, of these elements, we need still to continue technology development. That means that we need to continue to invest in innovation. We are currently in the process of setting up the next uh, framework program for research, Horizon Europe, that needs to be able to contribute to that. Some of these technology solutions require infrastructure that we do not yet have, uh, CO2 networks perhaps, uh, hydrogen uh, infrastructure. Uh, if we are going for a much higher degree of electrification, we need obviously to look at how the infrastructure for electricity can be developed in order to uh, facilitate that. And then we need to make sure that these investments, which are absolutely uh, astronomical, can be undertaken and that we need to avoid any kind of risk of uh, stranded assets uh, as far as possible. I think those are the elements, those are some of the things that we will look at further into the uh, long-term strategy that we are now so busy uh, preparing in the Commission. And if I, <clears throat> if I may, what, because you've, you've, um, if you've been here for the previous sessions, you'll have heard, you know, um, the last session, take the handbrake of policy and actually do something more dynamic and ambitious. Um, and there's something about, are you working closely enough with industry in developing the strategy? And what kind of aspect of demand side analysis are you, you pulling into this? I think we're working closely with industry like any other stakeholders. Uh, we really want
want to run a very open, transparent and inclusive uh, process towards the development of this long-term strategy. We had a huge public event just before the summer break. We've had a public consultation that closed uh, only last week. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think we have something like 4,000 contributions uh, from industry stakeholders, NGOs, uh, private persons and so on, who all want to have their views uh, listened to in this context. And of course, we will try and do that. We work closely uh, with industry. We know industry has certain challenges. Um, and I think we are uh, listening. On the demand side of things, uh, yes, uh, energy efficiency is clearly an area. We, as you know, always work from the energy efficiency first principle, which is to look at all the options that we have for reducing demand before we start to look at uh, additional investments on the supply side, supply side of things. That is a principle which uh, we will maintain and I think is a very, very important principle. And we have important policies in place, for example, under the Energy Efficiency Directive with energy audits and so on and so forth for, the, for industry. And at the end of the day, of course, the ETS policy, which is not something that we're responsible for in DG Energy, but that's uh, from DG Climate side. And I think you had uh, heard this morning uh, from uh, Mauro Petruccione uh, the views on, on that. But the ETS, I think, sends a very important signal, including uh, to industry in terms of where we need to go uh, in, in reducing emissions. Okay, let's go to industry. Francois, um, do you feel you're being heard? and listen to? <laughs> Sorry, that's, that's rather provocative, but I just want to gear things up a bit more. What's, what, what's your ask of, of, it, of, of the strategy? What are you looking for? Yeah, um, actually, uh, I would say first, this, uh, this event is uh, amazingly being uh, positioned between uh, the IPCC report, 1.5 degrees, released uh, last week, and uh, between the long-term strategy of the EU. So for us as gas industry is uh, extremely important to be here today to see how much we are committed to be part of uh, this dialogue and to reach uh, these uh, objectives to help the EU reach uh, the objectives of the Paris, Agre Paris Agreement. Um, having said that, uh, what we are really expecting from the long-term strategy is that um, affordability and innovation to be at the center of it. For us, it's a cornerstone why affordability? Because we know that if we are losing our customers, because the uh, decarbonization of the economy is too expensive for, that, for him and her, uh, therefore we'll be losing the sight of uh, how we will reach it. So that's, and people will not change the way they, they have, and their habits. So that's very, very important. And innovation, because um, we don't think we need, uh, yeah, I was hearing Hans saying, uh, talking about electrification. Yes, but electrification should not be a mantra and uh, we need everything but mantra in this in this journey to decarbonization. And what I mean by that is should, we should not antagonize the, electri uh, the, the electrons with the low carbon molecules because both have their role to play. And I must say, uh, looking uh, briefly, I must say, and I apologize for that to your uh, huge report, uh, three out of the four scenarios are having CC, CCS into them. And for us, this is something which is key uh, because we believe that uh, low carbon technology, uh, green hydrogen, not only green hydrogen, blue hydrogen will be part of it and therefore will be needed CCS, will be needing CCS. And uh, there are also sectors from the economy that cannot decarbonize because they are like cement industry, steel industry, because they are producing CO2. And therefore, if we don't want to offshore them again, we need to provide them with CCS and with solutions. Thank you. I will ask you whether you've been listened to or heard um, uh, later on. Um, and also you'll be able to say that when the strategy comes out. Colleagues, what do you think? What do you want out of the strategy? Anyone got a view? Great, lady there at the back with the glasses. Say who you are. Good, uh, good morning, good afternoon. Um, Florie Gonsolin representing CEFIC, the European chemical industry. 
I would like to come back uh, to the point of uh, energy efficiency that uh, was uh, raised by uh, DG Energy. Energy efficiency first, yes, we agree to that. But uh, I think the solutions you mentioned, uh, process optimization, audits, uh, and so on, I think we know very well that this will not be enough to reach the kind of drastic reductions that uh, we have uh, in mind today for the longer term. So for us, it means we radically need to also uh, reflect how we define energy efficiency because the other solutions that uh, you mentioned like uh, electrification and using hydrogen as alternative feedstock, we know that this will be attached to very high uh, electricity, low carbon uh, electricity demand for industry. So really a big ask from us, let's, let's not define energy efficiency as just straight reduction of energy demand. We know that this will not work if we want to make huge uh, greenhouse gas reductions. So that, that's, that's a plea for be more um, specific about the impact of energy efficiency by the definition you're using. But from your perspective, what would you like to have in the strategy? If you were, you know, you're here today, you've got the commission here, you've had other people here who will influence it. What would you like from the strategy? Um, first thing, I mean, we would very much agree that there is no silver bullet. Mm -hmm. uh, we will need uh, a combination of, uh, of solutions, an intelligent uh, combination. Um, and also what will be very important uh, for business is uh, to have uh, more certainty. Uh, that uh, because for us that would be very important uh, to, to guide uh, investments and to make sure that uh, we don't uh, follow uh, non-cost-efficient uh, routes that uh, could lead to stranded investments. I think that was uh, mm -hmm. also mentioned. Mm -hmm. So I would say this. Uh, okay, thank you. Points. So greater certainty uh, as, as well as being kind of a bit more ambitious perhaps in terms of what way, where to go. Um, there were a couple of other hands up. Gentlemen here. <clears throat> thank you. Thanks a lot, Robert Hegel, ArcelorMittal, steel industry. Um, I think it was also mentioned this morning, the whole debate, but this one is now really what is going to be the future. I think the f we have also industry on stage, so mm. that could also be uh, done. What do you really need? This is a breakthrough policy, and uh, we need a breakthrough policy for if you want to have breakthrough results. And it's not there yet. So what do we need in there is what your question is. Mm. I think Flori already mentioned the electricity side. Um, energy is a vital issue here to solve. Do we, DG Energy, I think they have been doing fantastic initiatives. We are building now a in Ghent here next door, a CCU project. That's only possible because of DG Energy. But there's the issue of CCU, CCS, as you mentioned, is still not being really incentivized in the right way. That has to happen. Um, so you one ask is, you know, get carbon ca capture storage really kind of... In the right in, in incentives. The right in the right incentives. Um, so same as hydrogen, uh, what is uh, three components what is really needed in this policy? Energy, mm -hmm. as you just been said, we don't have to say that again. The technology, I think the, the, uh, the roadmap and the Horizon Europe discussions are going really in the right direction. Mm -hmm. But you really need that is how to invest that in Europe. How to get these investments in the long term here. We're not speaking for one investment is, is, is for 20 years beyond 2030. How do we do that with international competition, which doesn't have this? Why is this? This needs to be done in the policy. It's not there. It's like Europe is still an island. And again, it's not, DG Energy is doing a great job there, but um, this has to be done in the policy. Otherwise, it cannot be a success. Two reasons. You cannot compete with other people with your same, if you're in a global market, of course, like steel is. Um, when you global, other people have, don't have these, A, costs of the policy, and B, the new investments need to be done. This needs to be in the new policy incorporated. If not, you cannot make a planning for your long-term investments. What does it mean? Concretely, that has to be in the policy. So effective measures against international uh, competition, like a, a fair levy at the, for carbon costs at the border, for instance, but also how to investigate, uh, make these investments for the new technology. So you have to think about state aid guidelines and these kind of things. That has to be 
much more concrete how to allow these investments of our industry. I think Nurion will also get into that issue. Thanks. Thank you. I was waiting for when state aid would come up and it um, hasn't come up at all so far because in terms of strategy, when you think about um, state-funded innovation, state aid becomes a major, major issue in terms of anti-competition. So, point very well made. Another, another couple of questions or issues people have wanted to raise from the audience in terms of what you want from the strategy? Any other takers? Ah, gentleman there. Thank you, Etan Pekin, uh, representing railway sector. Uh, and I should maybe make one reference, although I heard in the other panels that electromobility will be a focus and it should be there. And I should really maybe remind you that uh, transport is the only sector which has really increased its emissions. Uh, mm. And uh, this is the emission gap we speak. And I'm representing a sector which is already electrified. Four out of uh, five trains are already electric. And our sector has a vision to have the uh, low emission uh, mobility contribution. And my uh, wish for the, and my uh, suggestion for commission definitely to have a very good look in the transport sector. And I know that there won't be much of uh, targets uh, in the in this strategy, but we have transport white paper. It has a target for midterm emission reductions, 60% uh, reduction compared to 1990, but we are not going there. And I think we should really uh, come uh, while the time is running with some kind of uh, midterm uh, targets uh, towards 2030. So you're actually from the industry saying, actually give us a target. Exactly. <coughs> which will and, drive, which and, will drive activity. And, and yeah, all the rest should really follow. Excellent. Any other industry? This is good. We've had steel, we've got railways. Brilliant. Please, gentlemen here, we'll kind of pull all these ideas together and come back. Good morning. Uh, my name is Jan Skerpena, representing ExxonMobil, a large oil, gas and uh, chemicals company. And uh, we fully recognize that providing um, the world with affordable and clean energy while at the same time uh, mitigating emissions is, is the biggest challenge we basically face as society. And in that sense, we believe that technology is going to be key to uh, enable solutions. And we think technology is going to be key to uh, limit um, uh, energy demand through e uh, energy efficiency measures. We believe technology is going to be key to supply the world with the growing needs of energy for uh, the growing population and the growing middle class. And we think that technology is going to be key to mitigate emissions. And in that sense, I want to focus on one specific technology, and it has already been mentioned a few times this morning, uh, CCUS. And the reason why I want to do that again is that we think CCUS is is a key technology to keep the energy-intensive industries in Europe. Mm. If we would not do that, if we would offshore our energy-intensive industries, I think we can say that, uh, fortunately, CO2 emissions globally will increase. Uh, we have very energy-efficient installations in Europe, and, and there's another good reason why to keep them here, because energy-intensive industries basically are at the beginning of a value chain that enables mm. a lot of low-carbon technologies um, uh, to, make, to, to work, and to give you a few examples, there would be no windmills operating without the lubricants that our refineries are producing, or there would be no energy-efficient cars on the roads if there would be no lightweight plastics uh, to make them, and there would be uh, no uh, installation options that are affordable without our petrochemicals industry. So just to say, it's really key to keep the energy-intensive industries in Europe, not only from, a, from, from an economic and, and societal perspective, okay. but also from <coughs> this low-carbon uh, future that we need to establish. And so the, the, the thing that you would like, the device that you want in the strategy to do that would be what? Well, I think what is important is that we mainstream CCUS back okay. into the debate. There's a lot of issues around that, but let's, let's take an open okay. debate on that. And let's also make sure that the national climate and energy plans are reflecting that, because for the time being, we see very few countries that are really looking at that as a potential option. Point well made. Gentleman, he had his hand up. Thank you again, the chemical industry. Um, Flori already mentioned uh, some aspects. One aspect we would like to see in the strategy also is a little bit of a recognition of the work that has been done by sectors with their roadmaps uh, to look at what kind of low carbon strategies are there already, what are companies doing, and also what I would like to see in the strategy is an honest um, reflection on the proportions we are talking about what kind of electricity demand are we talking, uh, and, and costs. So uh, let's look at the issues and let's look at the challenges, at the size of the challenges, and also maybe make aware the public of 
what we are talking here. This is tremendous. It is really a huge effort we, we will uh, make and um, that we will need all, all good ideas and technologies. Uh, what we also would like to see is not only looking at the challenges, but also looking at possible pathways without fixed targets already or midterm targets. That is not what we need, but we need to see, well, where do we start? What do we do first? And what are the next obvious steps to take? Thank you. Thank you. So you've just had a snap consultation from five bits of the industry sector there. Um, rather than you just respond, I just wouldn't, even from those of you who haven't spoken yet, it would be good to get your reactions to what you've just heard. Um, feel free, I mean, who else, who would like to go first? Yeah, me perhaps. Yeah. Uh, in terms of uh, new ideas, I, I like this uh, this approach. I mean, uh, and uh, being representing today gas industry, it's uh, new gases actually, which are part of the new ideas. Be it um, biomethane, biogas coming from agriculture, for instance. But not only that, the green hydrogen being produced uh, through uh, using the green electricity. Uh, electrolysis of water electrolysis uh, using a green electricity, but also blue hydrogen using uh, CCS and natural gas. So all these ideas are really decarbonizing the molecule itself and allowing the uh, to, 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 to supply actually low carbon technologies to the consumers and industries. And I think what Johan said uh, before, uh, that it's key and I think uh, it's not only a, a long-term strategy for decarbonization, but it should be also a long-term strategy to keep industry in Europe. And that's something which is missing because, for instance, uh, oil and gas industry is 1.1 million jobs today, not in 2030. So we need to develop new jobs, green jobs, but not to lose the other ones. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. To make sure there's an adaptation business transition approach to this, which we've heard also earlier. Before I bring you, Aves, just from your perspective, given from the UN, I mean, does what you've just heard from industry resonate with what you're hearing from elsewhere? No. In the world from industry, no? Okay. No. Uh, Tell us. In, in the UN, we, we deal essentially with member states or uh, government delegations. And as we know, and as you know, and from the industry, from the private sector, there is a huge gap between what the governments, the uh, European Commission in this instance, also representing 28 states. The policy, the legislation comes later uh, after the, what the needs and demands and supply uh, chains in the industry that happen. So there is a gap and that's where the United Nations comes in and we try to bridge that gap to bring those stakeholders together and that's what we're trying to do also in, in the COP in December. We have created a platform which is called Global Climate Action, in which we want all stakeholders, especially non-party stakeholders, to come in to illustrate, to represent the industry, the private sector, in that platform so that the governments can then take note, note of and engage and develop their positions. So that's what we want to do. And to, in to, actually to summarize that in, in a way that we in the United Nations, we uh, try to do is to provide a very clear direction for climate action. You've talked to so many different uh, initiatives here. We need a direction, a very clear direction, in order to power that climate action and incentivize that climate action. So that's what's needed. And that's, I hope, what the strategy that you would be mm. proposing, developing, would reflect okay. in that clear way. Okay, before I do, Marco, just, Erica, do you want to kind of come back on anything you've, obviously, make your contribution later when I call you in, but from what you've heard from industry, given what climate, you know, what the foundation does, how close do you keep industry to you in terms of thinking about the strategy? Uh, yeah, good morning and, and thank you very much uh, to the Friends of Europe and very interesting in intervention so far. Um, yeah, so the European Climate Foundation, uh, we do try to uh, have a sort of evidence-based approach to, to what, we, what we look at doing um, and we do sort of consult a lot with, with industry partners for the, for the analyses and so on that we do. Uh, I think 
many of the technology options that have been mentioned today, like the, the hydrogen and CCS and so on, we do see certainly a role for those uh, in the future. Um, green hydrogen, I think we would uh, be backing rather than, than blue uh, because of the risks of the, the methane leakage and, and so on. But um, And CCS, certainly for industry, um, I, I think we think you can probably go to about 90% reductions in industry, but there, there will then need be, be a need for removals. But um, I think I'd, I'd add that there is certainly then going to be a clear need for investment in the innovation to, to get these uh, technologies to the right level of okay. uh, penetration. Um, but also, I would just wanted to add also mm -hmm. in the business models and so on with which they're used. So it's very much more about um, using the whole range of options, not just the technologies. But I'll say more about okay, that. Okay, when you come to you. Okay. Okay. Yeah, thanks. Now, the point I want to make is maybe a different point. We talk about decarbonizing, and I have sometimes an issue with that because carbon is not the enemy. Yeah? Carbon we let loose in the atmosphere, and carbon we let uh, as plastics in, in the ocean. That's the issue. So it's more about circular carbon. How can we use the, the, the carbon best? Because, as a point was earlier made, we need carbon for materials. Right? And so I think we meet, need to think more about circular carbon and how to incentivize that. Okay, all right. Whilst you've got the mic, so I'll, I'll come back to you, Hans, in terms of what you've heard in, in a moment or two. But um, in terms of your contribution, Marco, can you kind of what, pinpoint two or three examples where you think you could really lead to um, scalable decarbonisation? Yeah, okay. Um, at moments like this, I really... Uh, feel that I've got one of the nicest jobs uh, in the world. One I can be in this um, audience is think about the, the policies of the future and the strategy in, in, in uh, putting in the strategy. Uh, in my own company, I'm responsible for the innovation strategy, but also then for implementing that. And that's also the role I want to sh take a little bit here to quickly talk about our strategy, but then very quickly also talk about the practical issues I find by actually implementing projects. So if you look at our innovation strategy at Norion, uh, formerly known as uh, Axtebel Industrial Chemicals, until about a week ago. Um, it's all about circular carbon. Yeah? How can we find uh, carbon sources which we, can, which we can reuse? It's all about electrification. How can we take maximum value out of electrons? And it is about digitization. Yeah? It's to improve our, our processes, but also coupling those, those three elements together. And it actually is very complex. Technology-wise, it's very complex. But also, it's because you have to work with partners across uh, sectors and you have to build new value chains. So it's very complex and you need to do this in joint ventures and in terms of open innovation. If I go a little bit more deeper in that, if you look at circular carbon and, and circular economy, we've got a project, couple of projects running. One is waste to chemicals. I'll come back to that a little bit on, on the examples and the issues we find to actually implementing that project, um, which is about using waste and plastics to go to syngas and then go to, to chemicals. We work in, in Germany with Thyssen Group and other chemical companies on Carbon2Chem, a similar uh, type, of, type of initiative as, as with AstroMetal and, and Dow. How can we use the waste gases from the steel industry? Electrification comes really in, in hydrogen. It's wider, of course, you can make other chemicals as well with electrochemical uh, um, uh, processes. But it's very much about hydrogen, which is closest to the implementation. It's too expensive now, mainly on the capital side. But we've made an announcement that we will implement a 20 megawatt uh, electrolyzer in Delsail, together with our partners of the gas industry. Um, and we just announced yesterday that we will do study to have a 100 megawatt electrolyzer in, uh, in Amsterdam. Um, if I go, um, maybe one thing which is we need to understand, and I think I'm sure you do, but the enormous scale of the transition we're going through. Prime Minister Rutte has compared that with the rebuilding of, of Holland after the World War, or actually uh, going into uh, chasing from, from, from oil to gas in the Netherlands, all the households. So it's a huge transition. And if you look at the scale, for instance, if you want to turn all the carbon in Tata Steel and Muiden to useful chemicals, you need four gigawatts of electrolyzer. We are the second biggest electrolyzer company in the world. We have an installed capacity of one gigawatt. Yeah, and our biggest plant is 250 megawatts in Rotterdam. So the scale is enormous. Mm. So for me, one of the key challenges mm. is how can we get value for the European taxpayers who've been paying a lot of money on research, how can we get that into um, economic value? And if we don't do it, somebody else will do it. And then actually we will have to buy 
uh, those industries or import those products from other regions. So I think the challenge for Europe is now, how can we get out of the lab? How can we get into demos and pilots and actually can implement? And there is the big issue. Because if I take a project like Waste to Chemicals, uh, where we came across a um, Canadian um, uh, startup who've developed this technology, not moving waste into energy, but into, into, uh, into uh, chemicals, where they also need additional hydrogen for, right? so you need to have the right mix between carbon and hydrogen, so you need to have actual hydrogen. Their issue is that they have developed the technology to demo plant. But they need a partner like us, like Air Liquide and, the, and the, 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 the Port of Rotterdam, to bring this into implementation. And it's a huge risk project, because they have a demo plant in Canada, and we want to build a big plant in, in Rotterdam, which is an investment of about uh, 240 million euros. Uh, but it's based on, an, on a non-fully proven technology. Mm. Actually, we have learned a lot from the demo plant in, uh, in, um, in Canada. We want to make improvements, but for investors and banks, that's a risk. They say, oh, it's not the same technology. Yeah, yes, you make improvements, but, but how can you make sure that they work? Yeah, so you think you're doing something good by making an improved version, but if you, if you actually follow the normal innovation path now, we should actually make those changes in Canada, in that plant, but probably lose two to three years, prove it there, and then scale up. So you lose an enormous amount of time. And, and the challenge which I see is how can we share the risks for the technology, mm. but also for building the new value chain. If I look at this value chain, it's a value chain which has waste. You need waste, you need energy, and you make, in this case, methanol. Waste and energy are regional markets. Methanol is a global market. And so um, even, say, at the moment, the, the, the carbon prices, if you put part, part carbon prices in Europe, because of our current electricity mix, that carries a carbon cost, and the carbon cost is rising at the moment. China, making methanol out of coal, doesn't have carbon cost on coal. And actually, they're setting the market price for methanol in the market. So we have to compete with that. So. Mm. The issue there is, and was raised earlier, how do we implement in Europe, but yeah, how we do that with products which actually are okay. uh, competing <coughs> on a global market. And yeah, one way forward is, of course, is, is the positive side of it, to actually create a buffer funds uh, for, for, for these uh, projects to, based on how much carbon they save, uh, fund the project in a positive way. Clearly, you have to look at state aid issues and things like that, but create a positive incentive mm. because that's only how you can actually compete uh, on the global market. So create some sort of you know, decarbonisation fund that's very yep. clearly imprinted that actually yep. the impact you have in terms of reductions yep. is the return that you get in terms of capital. And that's measurable <laughs> and you need to have uh, somebody who actually vetting your, and, 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 uh, vetting your, your, your carbon savings mm -hmm. and actually relate that to a, okay. uh, a support system. Great, thank you. Eric, I'm going to turn to you straight away because um, there's, you know, given what we've heard so far, um, I'd like you to focus on what you think, or what you regard, given the work you've been doing, the research, etc., the engagements you've had in terms of this agenda, is that what would be your policy choices for the new commission next year? Okay, thanks. Um, well, yes, uh, you mentioned the work that we've been doing and, and my comments will be partly derived from this new study. Um, which uh, we just published uh, a few weeks ago called uh, Net Zero by 2050 from Weather to How. Um, and you can see from that where we're aiming. Uh, I mean, fully agree actually with all the comments about the importance of having clear pathways. Um, and uh, on that note, it's very positive indeed that the industry has been looking into that themselves, as the gentleman from the, from the chemical sector said. Um, but I do agree with Ovace that we need a very clear direction of travel. Uh, and I think for us, it's clear that that should be net zero. Uh, partly because that's what the climate science says. Uh, the IPCC report uh, the other week made, made clear that we need to be at carbon neutrality by the middle of, middle of the century and greenhouse gas neutrality shortly after. But also because there's something about zero which does focus minds. 
Um, I think so long as there's a gap of 20% or so, if we're aiming at 80% reductions that people think they can use, uh, there's a sort of a temptation to, to focus on the wriggle room rather than the, the actual reductions that are needed. So we take as our starting point that that's where we should be aiming. Um, and then we worked with the Climact uh, consultancy and a range of experts in our network to build a model uh, with a sort of simulation model across the economy to look at what could be some possible pathways to get to net zero. Uh, and we conclude from that uh, sort of three main things that I'll just quickly mention before going on to the, uh, the policy, policies uh, question. But uh, the first conclusion is that we consider it is possible, it is feasible to reach net zero emissions by 2050, but it will require very concerted action across all the sectors, um, so reaching into areas that we've, we've not looked at so much before, so industry, as has been much discussed, but also the, the land use sector. Uh, and also using all range of levers uh, much more uh, than we have in the past. So really looking at sort of societal organization, uh, consumption patterns, and indeed uh, business models and so on. So that's uh, really the first, the first point is good news, we think. Um, then the second uh, sort of overall headline is that the near term action and ambition would need to be really significantly stepped up. Uh, so that's partly because if you don't, then it's too steep afterwards, the reductions needed and too expensive. Obviously in a carbon budget situation, the longer you take, the more emissions you have over the period. But also in terms of the real world, it's about the uh, investments needed and avoiding the lock-in to the high carbon uh, structures and so on. So we, we think that the, the level of reductions by 2030 should be in the region of 55 to 65% uh, reductions. Um, there's also a range of no regrets options that would be needed for any of the pathways, um, and I'll mention those in a minute. But, uh, and then the other thing is really that we think it can be very positive. Uh, that we, There are a range of scenarios that we, we come up with, and some of them do actually cost less uh, in a, on a system-wide level than, uh, than the business-as-usual scenario. And of course, there's a very wide selection of uh, very nice co-benefits. Uh, air pollution is one that's been mentioned before, but also just general attractiveness of cities and, and, uh, and so on. And then, of course, as I think Kirsten was mentioning in the last uh, session, we can't anymore ignore the costs of the climate damage, the financial costs and the human costs and so on. And those are very much going to be there anyway, uh, and very much more if we're looking at two degrees of warming rather than 1.5. So that's the overall story of the report. Um, but just in terms of the, the no regrets actions and some of the policy orientations, mm -hmm. um, there's some things that I think would be um, fairly expected. So, you know, in the, in the power sector, things like a almost complete phase out of coal by 2030, um, about 50% penetration of wind and solar, um, and starting to really step up the flexibility options and so on. Uh, in the building sector, I think we'd be looking at um, the, the sort of uh, net positive buildings and smart buildings and so on by, by 2030 and a renovation rate of more like 3%. Uh, I think uh, when it comes to transport, we'd be looking at um, stabilization, stabilization of demand, uh, starting to see a modal shift away from cars, so more like 70% than 80%, um, and as well really starting to get ready for a proper ramp up of electric vehicles after, after 2030. Um, then, of course, uh, looking at the, uh, the AFALU agriculture, forestry and land use sector, that all land use policies will really need to start to integrate land and climate change considerations. So uh, starting to look at the, um, uh, the, the reforestation of abandoned land, the, um, the use of uh, um, sort of multi-use of land and so on. And then on in industry, if I, I can see you're turning to me and your time's up sort of... No, 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 carry on, carry on. <laughs> but no, just on the, on the industry side, I think, um, as I briefly mentioned, we see the, um, there's really a lot that can be done to, in the first instance, reduce the use of materials, uh, which is important, obviously, beyond climate change considerations. We think by 2030, there can be a reduction of sort of probably 5 to 10% of, of materials use through greater rates of recycling. Um, also through better design of, of products, increased lifetime, but also perhaps using um, high, higher value materials um, and stopping over-specifying products and so on. And then really with the circular business models and so on, you can actually increase uh, the utilization of assets. So, you know, the average car is only used for 2 to 5% of the time, uh, which is a bit crazy, especially if you look at parking trouble and things like that in Brussels. So I think um, with the right kind of uh, models of, of shared, shared fleets and so on, those sorts of things can be really reduced. 
So that's, and those, those things I just mentioned, those are really just simply stepping up things that are already current practices uh, and, and really readily available technologies and so on. But our, our report finds that about 70% of the needed reductions to zero uh, by 2050 can come from those sorts of things, really stepping up those already available solutions. But actually, the last 25% is more difficult, and that will need uh, a greater investment uh, to bring more to, more to market uh, and step up the deployment of some of these slightly less uh, widely deployed technologies and also practices. And so for that, I think we'd certainly want to see a big increase in the investment in innovation um, of probably about a third. Um, but also, I think, um, all of the levers that can start to increase the uptake. So looking right across the range of options, like things like public procurement, um, infrastructure uh, deployment, uh, some of the taxation uh, models and so on. And I think that's one thing we really want to see from this strategy, that it will really look right across the whole economy and right across the whole range of policies to, to get us on the right track. Okay, great, thank you. Any quick fire, I mean, any of you want to react to what, what um, um, Erica said about 75% being able to come from existing technology? Exactly, and uh, that's what <laughs> I was about to say. I love this no regress strategy and what has to be made now. Part of it is a call to gas shift, and I think uh, we keep saying, I was having a coffee uh, yesterday with uh, uh, the former advisor, uh, we were speaking, Melanie, uh, uh, Melanie Kinderlein was a former advisor to President Obama and, and, and the DOE. And she was saying that the last decade in the US, 61% uh, of emission reductions were coming from coal to gas shifts. That's enormous. Why are we preventing us from this kind of benefits in Europe? It's there, it's now, let's do it. And it's coal to gas and renewables, it would be even better. So let's do that now. Another thing uh, is about uh, the use of already invested uh, um, infrastructure, such as uh, the gas infrastructure. It's there. It has to be uh, used as a backbone of the uh, energy uh, solutions. Why that? I just want to give you one, uh, one idea, is that if we were to um, uh, replace all the uh, gas storage, uh, equivalent kilowatt hour by electric vehicles. We would need here in Europe 20 billion electric vehicles to replace the current gas storage. In other words, if we were to, uh, if all electric vehicles, if all uh, cars were electric vehicles in Europe, it would be an equivalent just of 2% of the gas storage. So, you know, you have a lot of technologies that are already been invested in today mm -hmm. that we should capitalize from. And then you have the longer terms, the research, I could not agree more, the investment. Okay. And this is why we're investing a lot in all these uh, decarbonizing gases, whatever the form they are. Avesh, you've got the mic too. You wanted to respond to what you heard? Yeah, very quickly. I fully agree and fascinating to hear the previous speaker here. Uh, just listening to it, I cannot help but think that uh, in the public domain right now, there is so much of gloom and doom about climate change, and the narrative is very negative. And if we want to reach out and make a fundamental change and behavioral change, we need to focus on the opportunities, the changes, that technologies that are already there, that are being worked on and developed and implemented. I mean, that narrative has to come out much more strongly. And does it have to come up from people like yourself? I believe, yes, we are trying to do that. And in, in the COP in December this year, there are three main thematic areas that uh, are going to be addressed. One is just transition. Second is electromobility. And third is for forest and deforestization and the implications of it. So we're trying to bring that out. But what we need then is also all stakeholders, especially those of you in the room here in diff from different industries, to. Uh, participate and convey that message uh, at a very, very large scale. That's what's needed. Okay. Yeah, I just want to look at the, the operational here a little bit. I agree on the 75%. The technologies are there. Don't forget how much time is needed to optimize them and get them in place. So investment is one. But I also think we need to get more scientists focusing on ironing out the last issues. Because we, we maybe in gasification technologies, we are there maybe 90% but not there. Eh? So I think it's about circular innovation also. Not, uh, so also invest in areas where we still need to do something. So don't have everything ironed out before we take the next step. I think in the 
come to Camp Project in Germany, where they have a lab, where they have a demo plant, and where you have scientists working on that demo plant and, and ironing out the issues, I think it's also a different way of working. So yes, 75% of, of the technology and the concepts, maybe I say, are there, mm -hmm. but to implement will be a lot of hard work mm -hmm. and needs investment. And the one way to kind of short circuit the time scale is have a scientist beside you. Yes, yeah, and then actually more closely, and not have this linear way, scientists in a lab, then a pilot plant, then a company takes it yeah. over, no, yeah, work together. Break the traditional yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, innovation cycle in, yeah. in effect. Okay, bring, I just want to bring you back in before we move to the last round of issues. Gentlemen here, I'll give you a second bite. Thanks a lot. Uh, again, Arsene Mittal, Robert Jekyll. Just two other issues which have not been addressed well. One is models, assessments. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was this meeting. So if you do an assessment, it has to be the right outcome for the policy base. And on that basis, you make a policy. What we see also now in this policy for 2050 is that there are a couple of models, again, used, which are fully inadequate for their, what they're made for. For energy intensive industries, we don't need an E3M model or the Primus model. They fit for other purposes and other. We did a session once in the commission how to make models that are actually fit for energy intensive industries and the position. And they came out a model, which was the best one of them all. The rest was unsuitable, flawed for this purpose, which was an acknowledgeable, still rather wrong, but okay, nice estimate. But all the other models were really completely off the hook. Those other models are still now used in the Commission 2050 roadmap. And that's, that has to change. We really need suitable assessments and models which are fit for that purpose for energy intensive industries. And we don't see that many of those that can really do that. So that's one. Second, skills. What we see also, we, we need, oh, uh, you already mentioned that, there is now a really, that is going to be a real huge problem for these breakthrough technologies. Mm -hmm to really um, make them in practice, you need skilled engineers, basically, and other skilled people, too. In Europe, we are the technology leaders in energy-intensive industries in CO2 in the world. Um, in the US, there are technology leaders and other things. Um, we are forgetting that a lot. And with the policies and also communication around this, um, what would you do if you are a very fantastic, skilled engineer? Would you go to a polluting company or would you go to a high-tech startup somewhere? On so This has to change because we need, for these challenges, we need the best engineers and skills. And that has to be also in this policy. So thanks. Thank you. Anybody else wants to come in before I kind of give a final round to the panel? Okay. Ah. Yes, I work for Equinor, which is a Norwegian energy company, for those who don't know, until recently called Statoil. Now, we heard a lot of good interventions from the industry side, and I want to take it a little further. Mm -hmm. Is there any scope uh, to create an EU-wide initiative for industrial decarbonization? Um, so that is, what are the roadmaps for the industry to decarbonize their activities? I think it kind of ties into the previous comment from Marcelo Mittal. Um, the likes of it are the coal regions transition, the battery alliance, the, I don't know, the sustainable finance topic. Why not delving into the industry issues? That's my question. Okay. So more a case for really joining up the dots on this and actually being focused about industry in, in terms of the pathway for it. So, um, Hans, I'm going to come to you for that. And also to respond to some of the issues that you heard. Yeah, thank you. It's been really great. And I've taking lots of notes here, both from what my fellow panelists said, but also the points that were raised from the audience. So thank you very much for all that. I think maybe it's important just to manage expectations as well in terms of this thing that we are working on in the Commission right now. Oh dear. What it is and what it is not. Okay. I think what it is, it will be probably the most comprehensive decarbonization strategy okay. ever produced by the Commission in the sense it will really look in great detail into areas which we haven't looked so much into detail in previous roadmaps. I'm referring, for example, to the 2011 uh, roadmap. We'll look really a lot into transport, a lot into uh, land use, and these things which are really uh, important. Uh, it will also, and I think that responds to some of the questions raised by the chemical industry in the room, it will, of course, 
take where we are today as a starting point. This makes perfect sense, and we will, of course, recognize that efforts have been made. But I think one of the key messages that will come out of it, and shoot me later if I'm wrong, but one of the key messages will be that there is a need for a really step change in efforts across the board, not just from industry, not just from transport, not just from land use, but across the board, if we are to have a chance of actually meeting uh, these ambitious uh, decarbonization targets, especially if we're looking also at the net zero that was mentioned, uh, and that is something that we will look uh, particularly uh, at as well in the strategy. What it will not be, mm -hmm. and I think that's equally important, is it will not be, uh, shall we say, an identific identification of the preferred pathway. It will be a series of pathways. Uh, it will not contain new legislation. I mean, first of all, it's not the time uh, within the Commission cycle to propose new legislation. That will be uh, for, for later on. Uh, so I think there has to be uh, you know, a managed uh, expectation as to what these... I suppose the, yeah, we wouldn't expect anything less. I mean, your government body, you're not going to say, only do this. You're going to set out a set of scenarios or what you think might be the um, toolkit or the kind of pathway or uh, the kind of issues that need to be addressed by sector by sector potentially. But I suppose what people are looking for is a bold ambition. That I think is for sure and we will try and bring that out and we will also try what was uh, said by my colleague here from the UN. We will try and give it a positive narrative because I think we actually agree that there is too much negativity. It's always about problems uh, which are uh, resulting from not the climate change itself, because clearly there are huge problems resulting from climate change, but the mitigation of the climate change actually brings enormous benefits. And I think including for industry. I mean, uh, European industry has really a history of adapting to change and staying at the forefront, also in terms of being competitive to changes. And I think this could be another such case that we need really to look at. It, it brings to mind some of the very early things I was involved in in my commission career, which was on renewable energy. Mm -hmm. um, and we were producing some of the first uh, piece of material on renewable energy in those days. And I remember we had a serious discussion in the commission whether or not we should really look at PV as a real element <coughs> of uh, solar because it was too expensive at the time. If you look at okay. it, the situation today, PV is one of the real workhorses of the renewable revolution that we're seeing PV in many areas of the world. Yeah. It's now the cheapest way to produce Indeed. electricity. That would have been inconceivable. If you'd said those things 25 years ago, people would have thought that you were crazy. So things change very quickly. Technologies develop very quickly. Sure. And I think many of the things that have been said regarding uh, technology in the room, including, for example, on things like CCS, it's true. I think we have perhaps not got it exactly right in Europe when it comes to CCS. We thought CCS was going to be a big option for electricity generation. It's clearly not the case. There are cheaper ways, mm -hmm. and better ways of decarbonizing electricity. But CCS is a real option for industry. And we should not forget that. And that is why we, from the Commission side, continue to push as hard as we can uh, for CCS and CCUS, uh, both in, the, in Europe but also uh, internationally. Uh, the transport okay. sector was mentioned. I think the transport sector is a real challenge. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, the technologies are developing and, and we will be able to decarbonize if we really, really want to do it. Precisely. And I suppose what I, what I hope we can look forward to is some practical examples or practical recommendations, uh, not just simply an assessment of what needs to be done. In this, you've heard today about people wanting um, innovation funding done differently creating an investment pipeline that is very different, for example. Uh, is there any kind of thinking of that in, in, in what you're, you're currently looking at? I think there's constant thinking about these things, and I think we have, <laughs> we've, we've done okay. already quite okay, a lot. I'm pushing you to the wall to give me I, an answer. I, I, you're I, a civil servant. You can't that, yes. do it. Yeah. I, th I think what, what we've seen is that, uh, I mean, there is a lot of decarbonization funding available. It Indeed. may not be okay. actually labeled as such, but if you look at, for example, the climate mainstreaming that we have in many programs, including in the FC funding, including in the forthcoming uh, Horizon Europe program, there is a lot of funding available for specific technology development, uh, 
looking at climate Yeah, I suppose the lesson from this is actually how do you signal that effectively uh, to make sure it's seen as that rather it, than it may, disparate? It may well be that we need to look at it and uh, make okay. some more order in all of that. And in fact, I think uh, if we can say what I would like to see as an ambition of this strategy oh, good. is also to see a little bit, you know, bringing all these different elements because I think a lot of people are very confused when they mm -hmm. see because we hear about so many different opportunities, so many options that are available for decarbonizing, but what we need to do, we need to create a little bit of order. We need to look at what is really realistic. How do these things hang together? Okay. Can we do all these things at the same time? Do we need to focus uh, specifically in one area or another? I think that's the kind of thing. That's your one wish from the strategy. If that, or, if, my if, personal little wish from the strategy. But wishes you've heard from the audience too is about greater coherence and, as, as you were saying actually, a focused strategy that's dedicated, that looks at the whole uh, infrastructure, if you like. Okay, I'm going to move, move on and close now, but as I've asked all other panellists, you know, I've, I've referred to the fact that next year there are elections, a new College of Commissioners. What's your one big ask? I'm going to work back with Marco. What would be your one big ask, knowing that citizens do want action on sustainability? Maybe something more about communication. It's, it's about also what the other panel members said. How can we make this more in a positive light. Yeah, it's a bit about, uh, we've got a very strong industry mm -hmm. in Europe that's based on the, on the first and second uh, um, industrial revolution. I think we are now in transition, and I think this transition will actually create a lot of jobs. I think people don't see that, and I, I can ask about policies and, and support measures, but I think if we can translate this to the citizen, that we can actually transition the technology, the industry to a circular economy, uh, with jobs, high-level jobs, and basically good products we can produce for them. I think so that's a sort a, of a message. A positive narrative. Positive narrative. That yeah, that yeah, we can positive. do it rather Build than around. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Erica, what's your one big ask? Thanks. Uh, Doesn't yeah. have to be one. You could have more. Cool. Um, so <laughs> I think I would go with having a very clear um, direction of travel towards net zero, um, but indeed, uh, as my colleagues say, attached to a very um, positive vision, a positive vision of the sort of cleaner, more efficient, less wasteful, more exciting, uh, attractive society. Um, but I think the Commission can afford to be in its uh, strategy very positive as well about the chances of getting there. Um, not only mm. from the point of view of all of the, the super cool technologies and this kind of thing that are coming, but I think uh, what we see just as well from society, from young people, not only are they keen for action on climate change, mm. but you know, look how many of them don't have cars, mm. look how many of them are already thinking about how much meat they use, which is a very strong lever by the way. Mm. Um, and then I saw a really nice survey the other day that something like 75% um, of people polled in the UK, young people, want to work in green industries and so on. Mm. So I think there's really good chance that this can happen. And I would just say as well, perhaps, to really make use of the um, preparation of the National energy and climate plans and long-term strategies next year to really gain as much insights um, as possible from both citizens and businesses uh, as to the sorts of changes uh, that are needed and the enabling conditions that will help to, to reach this destination. Great. So, so it's, it's okay, what, if I can paraphrase, is loving people up is great, but they actually need practical action to back up that love. Okay, great. Can I... Practical actions, practical actions today. Or what uh, would you like from the strategy next yeah, year? Yeah, or what would you say to the next commission? Exactly, let's not leapfrog and let's not dream about uh, what we could be doing in 2050. It's good to have the direction, but what we could be doing now as well is very important. Uh, coal to gas shift in electricity, uh, use of LNG to clean the air in the harbors, in, in ships, uh, LNG and CNG in transport, 25% reduction, no particulates, no socks. Uh, to in our cities, that can be done now. The pragmatism about what can be do uh, be done today, long-term strategy without any dogmatism and no antagon uh, without antagonizing molecules and electrons. That for me it's very key mm -hmm. because all technologies need to be uh, on board and needs to be working towards uh, low carbon uh, low carbon uh, society. I think and this is just uh, when you. Will have energy intensive 
uh, energy, uh, energy intensive industry, energy sector, all of us all together, we need to be on board to reach uh, the, uh, this final goal. And this is why, why Gas Naturally is uh, today publishing to do like you, Erika, our manifesto, and we're very proud of it. Please read it, it's everywhere. No, my, not, mine is better, look at the colors, much better. And I'm sure, look at that, I'm sure, okay. <laughs> And, and really? that's about it. <laughs> okay, so, you know, long term's great, but actually let's think of what can be done right now and in the next two or three years, because actually what we know about human nature is that we don't have a great deal of self, uh, you know, deferred gratification. We don't uh, have the, uh, sometimes the sense to actually go that long in terms of thinking about 2050, but actually what can my society be now in the next two or three years? Um, okay, great. Oves? Yes, I, what I can say is there's, there's so much of positive energy here uh, and what you have discussed, what you've shared, what the EU or the strategy needs to do is to now decrypt that, interpret it and visualize possible future pathways in a way that can be understood, it can be very clearly communicated and to allow to zoom in and out to see the bigger picture. That is extremely important, we need to do that. And then I strongly believe that the EU has the political will, the expertise, the leadership, especially in today's geopolitical environment and the world, to actually carry that and take it forward. And to do that in a way that is sustainable, which is based on the peace, security, and human dignity, which are the values of the United Nations as well. So I think that, if it, I, I know it's, it may sound dogmatic or moral, uh, values, but that's what is needed to underpin your energy uh, formation and transition. Thank you. That's, that would be your advice to the new president of the commission, um, possibly. Um, colleagues, thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's been really effective. We, in, the, in this survey of citizens I referred to earlier on in the day, we also asked them not only what the priorities should be of the future commission. We also asked them what kind of commission should it be? And we gave them four scenarios. We said it should be either a value setter, market maker, balancer or a transactor. And the vast majority of European citizens opted for value setter and market maker. But there was a real conjunction to a certain extent in terms of making that blend together. So it was quite interesting and I think what you've just said um, ties that together extremely well. Um, I hope that this has provided uh, enough stimula stimulation and thought in terms of what we might do into the future. What we've heard absolutely is that whilst 2050 is good, I think all our panellists have been referring to the fact that actually the next two to five years really matter. They really matter in terms of how we get to 2030 and beyond. And I suppose there's a sense of pace and urgency, but I think what we're hearing is actually there's a context of actuality in terms of what exists that we can make more of. And actually marshalling that with the right political will and right political context is the key, to, is a turnkey moment to actually progressing this further. I hope you felt that we've connected the dots for you and debated the right issues and thought about the change that we need to make. Let's thank our speakers in the usual manner. Thank you very much for your contributions. All, all I can say is that in, in preparation for COP24, I just hope someone's listening to the debate that we've had today. Thank you.